Good evening and welcome to HealthBeat. The program WDIY presents along with the Leonard Parker Poole Institute for Health. I'm your co-host, Greg Caponia. Joining me is Edward Meehan, the Executive Director of the Poole Institute for Health. Welcome, Edward. Good evening, Greg. This evening, we're happy to welcome Dr. Bobby Milstein. Dr. Milstein is the Director of System Strategy for Rethink Health and the Ripple Foundation, as well as a visiting scientist at the MIT Sloan School of Management. Dr. Milstein's educational background combines cultural anthropology, behavioral science, and system science. He concentrates on efforts to spark large-scale institutional and cultural change. He works with innovators who see themselves and others as shared stewards in a movement for well-being and justice. Dr. Milstein was lead editor of Thriving Together, a springboard for equitable recovery and resilience in communities across America. Welcome, Dr. Bobby Milstein. Thank you. It's a joy to be with you. Bobby, recently on April 20th, the Leonard Parker Pool Institute for Health proudly launched the Pool Speaker Series. Its first edition featured a presentation from Rethink Health and the Ripple Foundation on bridging social needs and vital conditions. The talk focused on hospitals as shared stewards of health and well-being. To start, Dr. Milstein, can you tell us a little bit about Rethink Health at the Ripple Foundation and its ongoing relationship with the Poole Institute for Health. Yeah, absolutely. So Ripple Foundation has really only one strategic purpose, to be a catalyst for an equitable future of health and well-being. And that's really not the trajectory that we're on in communities across the country or as a nation as a whole. We face really immense threats and we're going to have to work differently and think differently if we're going to achieve our full potential for health and well-being. And our well-being depends on a system that maybe none of us even fully understand, but we can be much better stewards of that system and, and rethink our own roles in it. And so that's really the whole purpose of Rethink Health. We organized this as a collaborative platform about 15 years ago to connect with people just like those in Lehigh Valley and across the country who are really dedicated to discover and share uh, and support each other in learning what it takes to thrive together through shared stewardship. So that's sort of the daily work of Rethink Health is to identify people in places all across the country, different roles. They may be neighborhood organizers or they may lead whole organizations, philanthropies or hospitals or universities or government agencies. There's really every role can contribute in one way or another to rethink our approaches to health and well-being and rededicate ourselves to achieve our full potential. And so we look for colleagues like that and we we team up with them to be able to do this work in context, uh, close to home and inside the organizations that people know best. Um, we don't come with a blueprint, but we do come with lots of experience and some tools and connections that often can help as people move into the uncharted waters of rethinking what health and well-being mean and what it takes to get there. So that was sort of the context that brought us to even into be in relationship with the Dorothy Ryder Pool and now the Leonard Parker Pool Institute. It's a relationship that's gone back for years because of the commitment of what the players in Allentown and Lehigh Valley you know, are really putting people in place in the foreground and trying to create the institutions for health care delivery, but also coordination with other organizations in the region that play a role in shaping the prospects for people's health and well-being. And um, these are just the kind of partnerships that we treasure. And so this relationship goes back many years as we've been thinking together about what the future 
for health and well-being could look like and and more importantly what we can do in the present to make that future come true ed how did you meet the doctor right. Oh, Greg, just to reiterate what Bobby has said, sure. Pool Healthcare Trust had a long-standing relationship with Ripple Foundation that's been very productive and rich over the years. And, you know, with the creation of the Leonard Parker Pool Institute for Health, part of what we do is to convene and facilitate and bring new ideas and be an idea importer. So the opportunity to work with Bobby and his thinking and his thought leadership on broadening the concept of social determinants of health has been extremely important. And everything he said about the work that Ripple does on a national basis, we are doing on a local basis. So we're very, very grateful for our longstanding relationship. And I think there's lots of good things to come in the future. Dr. Milstein, you talked about threats that are out there. Can you talk about a few of the things that concern you? Yeah, it's not hard to see the kind of adversity that we face. It sometimes comes in the form of novel pandemics, or it comes in climate catastrophe, or it comes in economic downturns, or housing unaffordability. There's, there's just really everywhere you look, we're beset with challenges and often bewildered by how to address them. And one of the first things to notice about them is that they're not really separate. They're not really interdependent. They're intertwined in ways that make it impossible for us to ever address them individually. And so the kind of array of challenges we face in some ways can only be met by us expanding our connections with each other and looking at the system that we've created that leaves us vulnerable to so much adversity. Um, I mean, we're never going to stop the challenges we face, but we can be much more agile and we can have a lot more foresight about the kind of trajectory that we're on and the hard work that it might take to set ourselves on a course that is increasingly concerned with um, not just preventing the problems that we face, but creating the circumstances that we most value. And that can actually give us all a lot more security, a lot more confidence that even when we meet adversity, we can navigate through it together without leaving anyone behind. And that's a big part of the outlook in this work is to not just address every event when it shows up and then basically feel like we're on a never ending spiral of adversity, but really work every day to certainly cope with the challenges we face, but but not be defined only by those challenges, really to be concentrating on creating the conditions that we most value. And that will end up benefiting all of us and not just leave us all on the precipice of real catastrophe. We're very lucky to have the Pool Institute for Health in the Lehigh Valley. And Ed, these threats, they're sort of interwoven, aren't they? they just, one brings another, right? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, it's very difficult to think about focusing on any one topic without touching all the other topics. And so you need an opportunity to step back a little bit and think systemically and think broad gauge. We are so immersed in the doing of immediate things that are right in front of us that we very rarely, community at the community level, at the uh, not-for-profit service delivery level, we're so busy doing and trying to keep up with the day-to-day -day challenges that we have that it's really difficult to drop back and say, what's really important? What should we really be doing big picture? And how do we focus ourselves to really think about what we're trying to achieve writ large? That's extraordinarily hard work for not-for-profit leaders who are usually so busy, busy, busy on a day-to-day -day basis. So often what happens is we think about programs to address a given problem because they're easily defined. So you have a program on housing or a program on early childhood education or a program on opportunities for youth activities after school. And what happens is folks get so immersed in that work that it's hard to connect the dots. But I think, you know, and Dr. Milstein, I believe, is helping us think through this. It's a little difficult and probably impossible to address housing 
without the related subjects on education or public safety or uh, health care. And so in order to be effective on one, you have to start talking and touching on all of them. So the conversation about social determinants is useful and helpful, but the broader perspective on thinking about what are we trying to achieve writ large is a scope that enables us to think about it in a more expansive way and hopefully in a more progressive way and hopefully in a way that makes us better and smarter about what we're doing on a day-to-day basis. I love that comment, Ed, because it's in some ways we really should be talking about our freedom to thrive. And a lot of this scramble to address the headline of the moment or the crisis of the day, it can lock us into a cycle where we don't feel very free to do the things that most matter. And so we can do both, right? We can absolutely meet challenges as they occur, but we can also ask, what are the conditions that would leave us free to experience the potential that we have in our communities and in our, in our organizations. So doctor, does this touch on the concept of stewardship and the role it can play in transforming a community? Yeah, absolutely. And Ned foreshadowed it perfectly is that, you know, most of us are trained to lead on behalf of a particular issue or organization and in a world that's got so many opportunities and challenges in front of us, um, when we organize around those particular kinds of defined programmatic areas of leadership, it can cause a lot of you know decisive action, but it can also fragment our resources and the organizational landscape as each of us are leading in various complicated and overlapping ways. And so stewardship is really nothing more than the idea that we can have purposes that are larger than ourselves or our own organizations. And most of us yearn for purposes that are bigger. We want our, our work to have great meaning and add up to a, a a kind of story that we can all feel connected in and and proud to contribute to. So purposes can be larger than ourselves. We can build power with each other to be able to do things that we can't do alone. We can also invest resources in ways that that generate long-term value and don't just sort of gather assets for our own you know, personal or organizational agenda. Um, these are hallmarks of a practice of shared stewardship, right? So we can be leading and we can also be thinking of ourselves as shared stewards of the things that we are entrusted with and the things that we most value. We define stewardship very, very simply. It's a- any person or organization who's just willing to take responsibility for working with others to create the conditions that everyone needs to thrive, beginning with those who are struggling and suffering, because nobody knows better about how systems are designed and where the opportunities are than people who feel like they're encountering adversity every day, that the world was never really built for them to thrive. They have a very keen understanding of how we can expand systems to make sure that they feel they belong and that they have things to bring. The more people who are participating as stewards, the easier this work becomes, right? We expand the range of assets. Many hands make make light work in, in some ways, and we can build that civic muscle to be able to do things we can't do alone. Thank you. And at the end of the day, it's still getting back to the foundation of having a healthy local society, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's more important now maybe than ever, or more important now than it's been in a very, very long time for there to be civil civic dialogue on what's important, what matters, and how do we make our communities safe and healthy places. I would just piggyback on Dr. Milstein's comment about the shared stewardship. And it, it puts me in mind of the fact that, you know, we're in our eighth year of what is now known as the Pool Fellowship for Health, began it as calling it the Collective Impact Fellowship. 
But there are about 80 folks who uh, have gone through a year of uh, experience in terms of thinking about how they can be better stewards. We really never characterized it that way, but implicit in the work is is that broader idea of how do we create win-win opportunities and how do we work together in a more effective way, sharing data, thinking about how to enable and support one another. I'm so grateful and so happy of the fellows that are practicing. They gather in a community of practice on a regular basis, and I think that is a, a real good foundational way to be thinking about this work in a more expansive way. Doctor, you know, we- that, that list of steward, the list of fellows is also teaches us one thing about stewards. Even if we don't ever use the word particularly, there are stewards in our midst all around us. Uh, human societies would never have evolved the way they did if we didn't have a, a propensity to be able to to work across our differences and to be able to care for each other and to create the things that we value. And so those fellows, in some ways, are an example of the people who are unseen and uncelebrated, but they do the stewardship work every day and in various, you know, in various walks of life. Um, so if we start looking for um, people who play this role and organizations who who play these roles, we can discover that we're actually our stewardship is maybe stronger than we might have imagined, but it's not as strong as we need it to be. And so that's a, sort of a good news, but it also can reinforce our commitment to build this capability that um, maybe we haven't really noticed before, but is perhaps pivotal in being able to navigate through the challenges we face. I was just curious, how does a listener become a steward of social determinants of health as, as you're relating to this? Well, the first thing to recognize is that's a role that anybody can play, even in your own life, in your families. The work that we do nine to five, you know, has, yes, in some cases it gives us a private paycheck, but it's also got larger civic significance. And so we can do that work thinking broadly about what does this mean for creating the kind of community and the kind of conditions that enable all of us to thrive. And and then there are acts of stewardship that really have to do with how our government functions or voting and volunteering. Um, but it's really those everyday acts of courage and conscience and connection that really define our capabilities of being stewards. And that has immense potential. Really, anybody listening to this can ask yourself, how might I be connecting better across difference? How can I participate in expanding opportunities for others to reach their full potential? And more than anything, how can I learn and adapt over time so that this is not a solo activity, right? This is about connecting with even one other person who shares your values and is willing to think and act together and find opportunities to be able to make that one next step in a long intergenerational journey toward a future that has all, everybody feeling that they belong, everybody feeling that they have things to bring and that their well-being matters. It's really nothing more complicated than that. It sounds simple to say, but it begins with each of us rethinking our own roles um, rather than just relying on you know, doctors and other helpers to be the ones most responsible for our well-being. So I think there are, there are two pieces to this. One is that, you know, as Dr. Milstein is saying, the ability to reach out and think about stewardship and think about the role you play can happen in lots of small little ways. And I, I think what happens can happen in big ways, but it doesn't have to be this enormous, enormous task. I think what happens is after a while, you can develop some capacity for that individually in, in terms of thinking about what's your role in the community? How do I see myself? How do I see my neighbor? How do I see my coworkers? 
Uh, and just a few minutes ago, when we said now more than ever, you know, coming out of COVID, we've all been isolated. And I think it's really time to try to think through how do we re-engage? How do we re-establish old ties? How do we uh, establish new ties? And stewardship so often sounds like a selfless act, but I think what happens is the stewardship piece is also energizing and reinforcing. Once you realize how beneficial it is to you personally, I think you want more of it. So how do we develop the capacity to do that and create those opportunities? And getting back to the fellows, what I was thinking was that we didn't teach the fellows to think this way. They already were thinking this way. We didn't, you know, anoint them to be stewards. They already had the inclination to move that way. The things like the fellowship are the ability to develop the muscle and develop the capacity, as we talk about at the Institute, time in the batting cage. How do you begin to think about how do I develop better capacity and strength and thinking about my role, my ability to enable others to do their job better, which will reinforce the work I need to do? How do we create those opportunities, get good at them, and then transfer that knowledge base, transfer that skill into a broader, broader community? Doctor, what are your impressions of Allentown when you visited? What do you think our areas of opportunity might be? Yeah, I was um, immediately impressed at the range of people who showed up in the middle of a busy workday to step away from the daily pressures and ask, what kind of a role are we playing and how can we connect better to each other in this work? So the, the curiosity sort of came through immediately with people and folks that play various different roles within their organizations and seeing the inside change that they can make. Um, but also looking over the walls of their own organizations or their own department and saying, you know, how can I reach across these boundaries in ways that might expand opportunities for us? So the, the, the curiosity came through, I think, the ambition to not just do more of the same that we've always done. Lots of us are working at the top of our game, and I got the impression that people there um, feel very proud of the work that they're doing but also ambitious enough to say, you know, maybe we could do better. Maybe there's something that a bigger we of us could be able to do. And, and that kind of growth, there's a, a phrase we use in this work often that we grow in the direction of the questions that we ask. And I, I found the colleagues in Lehigh Valley to be asking some of the biggest and most important questions that there are, uh, you know, like put, how do we put people and place in the foreground, these things that we love and are maybe, you know, concerned for the for our own well-being, concerned for the future, and and not just sort of turn that into rage or apathy or or just put my head down and do my little piece and hope that other people doing their part and somehow it's going to all add up to a better future and a better system that is unlikely to work very well. And so the imagination of what I saw in Allentown. Um, that the day that I visited was uh, the story of people who are really involved with rethinking and rededicating themselves to this work. So I, I saw a lot of kindred spirits. Um, you know, physically, we were downtown and I heard stories about what it took to, to gather the, you know, millions, maybe billions of dollars of asset that that has remade the the local physical landscape there, but doing so in a way that doesn't necessarily gentrify and displace people, but actually works together to gather the assets to to do the placemaking and the placekeeping that's so important. There's, <laughs> this is, a, you know, a, a community like a lot of other, you know, folks with a long history in, you know, America's industrial revolution. And we're going to have to reimagine and reinvent what it means to thrive and build an, an economy for the 21st century to build enough of our, our civic and public life 
so that we're concerned for each other and build the infrastructure, just like our, you know, sort of ancestors did, forebears did to build an infrastructure for the industrial economy, we're going to have to build the infrastructure for a well-being economy. And great wealth and prosperity is going to flow to places that figure out how to do that. And I saw a lot of that spark of imagination in Allentown, even in the day that I was there to visit. How would you say the Lehigh Valley is doing when it comes to other Rust Belt communities in progress? I'm actually a little curious about Ed's answer to that. Uh, you know, being sure. being from there, it's it's more important that people benchmark themselves off of their own aspirations rather than trying to compete with others and follow the leadership of somebody else who's done something else elsewhere. I mean, I, of course, I I'm a big fan of learning from counterparts in other places, but the real story is what we learn from the history of the people who've been here before and all the people, <laughs> right? What have we learned from that intergenerational story of people who made this place home and called it, you know, tried to make a life here and then to connect with each other and who felt part of that, who felt disconnected or displaced from that or excluded from that. We could be honest about the strides that we've made over time and, and recognize that this work is unfinished. And so what does it mean to be good ancestors for our future generations that are gonna call this place home? That kind of benchmarking off of our own aspirations and really taking stock of our own assets, that's to me is the the first step. And then we could look with you know some humility and um, ambition and say, well, have has any other city done it differently? I can absolutely tell stories of colleagues in Wisconsin I, I visited recently, which was the epicenter of the paper manufacturing industry. Just like in Pennsylvania, you've been the epicenter of other parts of, sure. of the economy and. And that paper industry in Wisconsin is is significantly downsized and maybe gone. It didn't knock them out. It, it, it caused them to really reimagine what a new kind of economic prosperity would look like. And, and not just economic. That's kind of the important thing is they want to build an economy that works for all. But they also want to be a great place for kids to grow up. They want to have a way to connect in the physical and cultural spaces that make their the land and that geography so special and more than anything, to be a place where all feel that they belong and all people have things to bring. And, and in that way, I see a lot of commonality, you know, between Fox Cities, Wisconsin and Allentown, Pennsylvania, and, you know, really a whole cast of characters in these, you know, sort of so-called older industrial cities that are actively thinking not what they've lost, but what they want to create next. Ed, we have a few minutes left. Your comments on that? I think we're doing pretty good. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, just first of all to qualify, I moved here in 1981. So as anyone who's native to the Lehigh Valley would say, I almost know what I'm talking about when it comes to the Lehigh Valley. So just just want to make that statement. You've on the seen a few end. things. Uh, yeah, I've seen a few things. I moved here at the very end of the industrial strength of the Lehigh Valley, and so picture 1981 and the Lehigh Valley then, Beth Steele, Mack Truck, etc. And the Lehigh Valley was shifting from an industrial economy for the next 10 or 15 years into a service economy. Uh, we worked with the Brookings Institute and a number of others who had uh, said that our strength was in meds and eds, the universities, colleges, and hospitals in the Lehigh Valley. And to the great credit of Lehigh Valley Health Network, I think they owned that responsibility, not as a healthcare provider, but also as a leader in many, many ways in terms of community life. The private sector leadership, I think, uh, just rode that wave from industrial to service to what's happening now. And I would say that 
it's hard to define. I mean, Bobby's the cultural anthropologist, not me. But I mean, when, you know, it's that John Gardner line about history never looks like history when you're in the middle of it. It just looks messy. Uh, so I <laughs> right. think that we're at a place right now where I'm not sure what happens next. But I can tell you this, when we had our symposium in November, about 100 people to talk about uh, all the various determinants of health and how do we work better together around using data, how to use, uh, how to talk more about early childhood education, about safe and healthy housing, about well-being. The astonishing thing for me was at the end of the day, the greatest piece of feedback we got from those in attendance was excitement, energy, enthusiasm, a desire to do more, a willingness to innovate. And it surprised me slightly, but really in a very, very pleasant way. I'm just thrilled with that. So I think what we're going to experience next is is an, the let's capture the energy that we have. Let's be smart about how we go forward. How do we work together? How do we create win-win opportunities and uh, make the Lehigh Valley a better place and make the communities within the Lehigh Valley a better place? Dr. Milstein, in a minute left, please close us out. Yeah, I, I'll pick up exactly where Ed just left off is again and again in every engagement that I've had with Rethink Health over the last decade or so, the thing we hear over and over again is that I didn't know that other people shared my values. So much of what we see on cable TV and you know in the news is, is stories of gridlock and chaos. And But the real story, the one that really matters, the, the history that is in the making is much closer to home and, and people with a real desire to make their own place that much better, right? And better for themselves, for the people that they that they feel connected to and, and even for the next generation. And we need to span that circle of connection to leave nobody out, right? And that brings immense assets that allow us to tackle challenges that are maybe bigger that we wouldn't even dream of addressing individually, organizationally, or through programs and projects. We're not going to solve the challenges that we have through programs and projects, but we can be multi-solvers when we take actions together that have many co-benefits across all of our various concerns. And it's animated by that sense of, of value. And if we talk about the values that we're thirsty for and just express even a fraction of that through our shared stewardship, we can make great strides toward well-being justice. Can you give us a website about Rethink um, that people might be able to learn more about? Yeah, so um, the Ripple Foundation, R-I-P-P-E-L.org, is a good starting point for this work. And through that, you'll find portals to the Wellbeing in the Nation network. Um, the Community Commons is a treasure trove of free assets that are useful to changemakers, just like uh, all of you who are listening to this work. Dr. Bob Milstein, thank you very much for your time this evening. Ed, as thank always, you. thank you for co-hosting this program. I am Greg Caponia your host. You've been listening to Health Beat, and you're listening to WDIY 88.1 FM. Have a great evening. If you enjoyed this program, please go to the WDIY website or app to share or become a WDIY member.